0: call of duty for me I had to go to the guys and say guys this is important to me.
1: It almost has elements where it could be like a Adams family or Munsters sort of soundtrack.
2: The band we chose to do it as was a former version of ourselves.
3: Fred had the audacity to look over at me and said well maybe if you weren't playing so much Halo and practicing your part we'd be already done with this. I looked at him and was like fuck you dude.
4: And welcome to Tracks, the official Avenge Sevenfold podcast. I am your host, Bees, and this is the show where we take you behind the scenes and behind the songs that make Avenge Sevenfold. If you checked out our special last week, it was something a little bit different. We had Matt talk to Mark Lamia, who was the creator of Call of Duty. We spoke about creativity and how their friendship came to be and all things that lead us on the road to this episode of Tracks are not ready to die of course the song written for call of duty by avenge sevenfold and we are about to be joined by matt Zaki, sin and johnny to talk about the song in depth and tell you um, every single month we seem to get these amazing stories and this one you are not ready for avenge sevenfold versus mums you heard it mothers against avenge sevenfold that is coming up as Part of our Not Ready to Die special, of course, a7xworld.com is the place to go and get your official Not Ready to Die t-shirt. Every single month when we cover a song, we also put out a limited edition t-shirt that you can get at a7xworld.com that is the official artwork for that song. So the Not Ready to Die t-shirt available now, a7xworld.com. And if you were in New York City for NFT New York last week, My God, the Death Bats Club party looked absolutely incredible. And even more than that, of course, the band were there. So many of you got to meet the band and got to hang out with them. And some of you even had the opportunity to be tattooed by the members of Avenged Sevenfold. And I don't think he'll mind me telling you this. Matt was so proud of his, he was displaying it in the Death Bats Club group chat. I am not even kidding you. He was so stoked on it because it's um, it's quite something. Go and check it out. I told him that it had Basquiat kind of uh, influence. You can make your own mind up and make sure you keep involved and keep up to date with all things Death Bats Club by being in the Death Bats Club Discord. That is enough from me. I've been Bees. This is the latest episode of Tracks. Make sure you're subscribed because ultimately, Next month, we are going to be doing Roman Sky from the album The Stage, and we are going to keep working our way through the Avenged Sevenfold back catalogues. I've been Bees, they are about to be Avenged Sevenfold, and this is the story of Not Ready to Die. I'll control the world
0: one at a time As I damn the
1: dead I'm trying to survive
4: As we begin to work our way through the Avenged Sevenfold back catalogue as part of tracks, what's interesting is that this month's episode on Not Ready to Die is something of an anomaly because not only is this usually the point in time where we talk about the song being part of a broader canvas, a song being part of an album, but Not Ready to Die was the first Avenged Sevenfold song that had been written exclusively on its own for a game for a commodity for anything in entertainment there's um some interesting stories coming up about them turning things down and things turning them down but that's all to come across this episode i wanted to start because As always with all things Avenged Sevenfold, you can look at this and think it's just a game written for Call of Duty and that's that. But there's much more to it and there's much more emotion involved. But we'll get to that shortly. First up, let's find out how the Avenged guys got into gaming in the first place, shall we?
0: Gaming for me personally has been really important. Um, I remember my first Nintendo was given to me by my grandmother I remember she gave all the grandkids that nice little box with the, uh, the old gray and black Nintendo. And I think it came with Mario brothers and duck hunt. And um, I was enamored by it. I was blown away. I wanted to play as much as I possibly could. I remember buying as many games as I could um, and just spending a lot of time on it. And obviously spending enough time to where it became a problem where My parents didn't understand it. They thought it was um, pretty much a waste of time. Um, And so I quickly had some rules put in place where I couldn't sit there and play, you know, Nintendo and play Mario Brothers all day. So, yeah, it was a generational thing. It it was one of those generational shifts where, you know, the kids understood it and it was culture and uh, the parents were just kind of scratching their heads.
1: Video games were such a huge part of my growing up. It was revolutionary to go to a, you know, video rental store and go rent a video game for like 99 cents, beg my parents to do it, bring it home, whatever game it was, figure out how to play it, how to, uh, you know, you'd be so sad if you rented a shitty game that wasn't any fun. Cause you knew that was your only chance to, to play for the next few days until your parents took it back. But you know, the truth is, is that video games had a huge impact on me personally, from the time that I was young, I remember my next door neighbor would come over and we would play Castlevania, Simon's Quest. And he would—he was older than me, so he would show me the tricks and how to beat it. And all I can remember is that fucking soundtrack. It's my favorite video game soundtrack ever. And, you know, that music actually inspired me to to write certain riffs for Avenged, which people probably don't know, but that Castlevania soundtrack is is flawless to me. You know, when we, me and Matt were in high school, we were both, I mean, there's times where we were just ditching school, pretending to be sick for a week at a time to play Zelda's Ocarina of Time. And then we'd tell each other about how fucking awesome the soundtrack was and the music. And we, like, we honestly wanted to, like, write Zelda music. We were trying to figure out how to play the Zelda theme song. Like, so there, there's so much more than just playing the games
2: I always played, but I wasn't like a, a gamer, but it, the multiplayer games are just the best. And when that stuff started happening, I mean, my brother and I had, I forget what, it was a sniper thing when we could play together and do battles or uh, what were they called operations. I forget what they, they call them. Um, anyway, technical word for that. And then there was bond. Everybody started playing bond together. And then you could, you know, combine the computers and uh, the different computers, Xboxes and stuff. And Halo was huge when we were recording records on our downtime and they're maybe cutting some tape or tuning guitars or getting drums set up, we'd be in different levels, different rooms, um, fucking fighting and attacking and killing each other and halo and stuff like that. And it's just, it's really, really incredible. And then, you know, call of duty just brought the world together, you know, kind of the same way the internet did. Um, but even more importantly, because, it's all focused on on respite and getting away uh, from negativity and embracing camaraderie with your friends and and ultimate competition and stuff like that. So um, it, it was groundbreaking, mind mind-boggling. It's all the, all the good shit um, and community building. And so it's a definitely a cool thing to be a part of.
3: Growing up, my mother was a waitress at a restaurant here called Don Jose's. I think I mentioned it in one of the other things here. But in the bar area, they had one of those cocktail table, Pac-Man and Galaga tables I used to play when we were waiting for our table or just hanging out, waiting for mom to finish up her shift. I'd be over there playing games. Other than that, uh, I think my dad brought home one of the first uh, Nintendo systems. Uh, that was We had an Atari before that. We had some games on a computer before that, but... I was a little young for that, so the first console I remember really playing was that first NES, and uh, we had gotten it with, it was one uh, cartridge, uh, also the cartridges were much bigger then, um, and uh, it had Super Mario Brothers, and Duck Hunt, and that Olympic game with the pad. That, that, that you could run on uh, that's that's kind of the. I remember that in our apartment we actually moved the dining room table out of the way and had a computer set up in there uh, and we would switch the monitor from the computer to the uh, Nintendo monitor um, so those were the those I guess were my first memories of playing uh, video games at home I'll say
4: Nice to hear about Avenged Sevenfold's early days in video game playing but What you might not know is that Avenged Sevenfold have something of a checkered history when it comes to video game playing and making their albums. Now, I don't want to poke the bear too much because I know that everyone out there is getting a little bit tetchy waiting for a new Avenged Sevenfold album. And I don't want the video games being blamed. But what I will say is that... In the making of previous Avenged Sevenfold albums, video games have had a role to play, especially Halo.
0: I grew up playing um, 007 on the GameCube, I think it was. And it was my first, you know, first-person shooter kind of experience. And I remember we would be at my, my now wife's house, Val, and all of our friends and uh, Joe, who is the dev for the Death Bats Club. You know, we would all go over every weekend and we would get on the four-player split screen, 007 thing. And, you know, at the time, you're all on the same screen. So you could kind of screen watch. And there was all these problems that, you know, trying to turn the TV certain ways and want people to. And so we would do that every day. And it was just brilliant. There was shit talking. There was just fun. We were drinking underage like a bunch of idiots. But it was one of those things where it was just this collaborative effort to go there every night and compete. And then um, during the recording of Waking the Fallen, we got very much into Halo because Halo would come out and now you were playing on different screens, right? So we had different screens throughout the studio and we would play and we would just, every time we were in between takes, we would play. I remember some legendary arguments that we'd have some things where we would change the name of our character to offend the other person And we would just get in like real fights like where we wanted to fist fight each other Like people would leave the studio pissed off because of Halo
3: It was the first time I had ever played a game like this where you could be On three or four different consoles As long as you're on the same network you could play in different rooms and stuff So we we quickly got all these different setups and there was I think there was three rooms going on with uh, Halo um, in different rooms during breaks, you know, when we're waiting to set up the next track or, you know, when Brian's slaving away and the rest of us get to go fuck off for a little while. Um, So we would be playing from different rooms and you'd hear, you know, it it was also a time when you there wasn't like the headsets and anything. So we would just literally be yelling at each other from the other side of the of the studio, Uh, like big ass is like screaming and stuff and like, you know. Complaining about how the game is delayed and all that, that was, that kill was bullshit. And then uh, the other cool thing is we would start to, uh, uh, if everyone remembers Halo originally, your, your name would pop up when you made a kill. So like you were killed by, uh, fucking M shadows, for example. Well, we eventually found it a lot more funny to name ourselves something that would be an inside joke and fuck with somebody. And uh, I can't explain one of them. Well, the best one, unfortunately, I can't explain because uh, it involves somebody that we, we, don't, we don't want to throw under the bus. But, um, yeah, we just we started coming up with names, so, like, it would be funny. You got, uh, we, <laughs> one of them, actually, I can't say it was, like, Wilshire Boulevard because the traffic is always so bad on Wilshire Boulevard. So it was, like, you got killed by Wilshire Boulevard. And uh, it was, like, it was stupid shit like that, and it would, like, piss you off, you know, and... Or you get killed by, like, something sweet. You come up with a name that would just piss you off to get killed by. Um, so, I mean, that was, and that was Halo 1. So uh, I don't even know what iteration we're in now at this point. Because that was in 2003 when we were, when we were doing Waking the Fallen. And then um, we, we kept playing Halo. A lot of us did anyways. Um, and then uh, by the time we went back into City of Evil and doing uh, the record with Fred and uh, Mudrock again, we picked up right where we left off. It was a smaller studio, but uh, we still were able to, like, separate a couple of TVs. And then when we had to use the big room for bigger stuff that we couldn't play video games in there, we there was one common room. And instead of – we weren't separated, but we'd have separate TVs, fa- like, back to back. So, like, we we're, we're facing each other, but looking at the screen, talking shit. One of the things that uh, I would always hear complaints, I was like, that's bullshit. I shot you in the back like three times and you turn around and shoot me once. I was like, I didn't make the game, bro. I just turned around and shot you. I don't fucking know. There was one point where uh, I was doing, uh, oh, Trash and Scattered. I was tracking Trash and Scattered, which we did last month uh, here on tracks and... I remember going into this into the room and I was having trouble with that that rhythmic part in the verse just playing it over and over again again as we talked about last month uh, during this tracks podcast and one of the days I was going in there I was just like I wasn't nailing it and Fred had the audacity to look over at me and said well maybe if you weren't playing so much halo and practicing your part we'd be already done with this. I looked at him and was like, "Fuck you, dude." I was like, "I was like, I was so pissed." I was like, "I'm just having has nothing to do with my fucking Halo play, okay?" I went outside and like calmed down, and then I came back in and nailed it. But it was like, it was like taking a little long, and like both of us. I mean, we're you're in the process of a record too. I don't know if anyone's listening that's ever been in the process of making a record. There's good days and bad days for everybody, and um, actually, in this band, we flourish on uh, watching other people's bad days. So it's it's always fun to fuck with them.
4: There you go, absolutely not down to the bass player, not doing his homework, but instead that the parts are really difficult on Trashed and Scattered and um, Halo was just there. Millions wouldn't believe you, Johnny, but I do. So I mentioned it earlier, time to get a bit serious. Um, Something that I have adored about doing this tracks podcast and making our way through Avenged Sevenfold's back catalogue is in the conversations with the band members of Avenged Sevenfold, it becomes so overwhelmingly apparent how seriously the band take their art. And writing a song for Call of Duty is not just a throwaway exercise. There is more deep reasons as to why Avenged Sevenfold would be writing a song for Call of Duty. It involves getting themselves back on the horse in the aftermath of Jimmy's passing. I'll let the band tell the story, but I just think it's so important to know that about Avenged Sevenfold, that um, even when it comes to just writing a song for a video game, The song is being written for a reason that is deeper than just, wow, that's something cool to do, isn't it?
0: When we lost Jimmy, I wanted to go inward and I didn't want to go see people. I didn't want to go to the bar. I didn't want to be outside. I didn't want everyone to talk to me about it. So I jumped online and hung out with my Call of Duty buddies. And so it's like a therapy session. It's a way to relax. It's competitive. It's friendship. It's all these things rolled into one that at the time would be very hard to kind of predict
1: we were all in a very dark place so after jimmy had passed we spent every minute with each other at someone's house huddled up for for several weeks after i mean even sleeping in each other's houses uh i mean it it hit us so much harder than people could probably ever realize and you know when we realized hey life has to go on we need to be able to live in our own houses. We need to be able to try and have some semblance of uh, normalcy. You know, we all kind of went back to our houses. We all had just gotten houses for the first times in our life. And there wasn't much to do. I mean, we didn't have a band. We had an album that wasn't finished, and we didn't have a drummer to finish it with us. And we moped around at home. There There was nothing. So this game was sort of our salvation it was a way for us to connect it was a way for us to talk and anytime you put any of us in touch with each other or in the same room we we have such a unique chemistry and we can make each other laugh even in the worst of situations and we just feed off of each other and while we're playing a game and going around you know trying to kill zombies and shoot other people and just run around we're you know saying funny things and making each other laugh and remembering what it's like to be human. And that was on a, a daily basis. And as soon as, you know, it was like, okay, gotta go time to turn the game off. It we went back to just kind of falling into that. You start thinking like, fuck, what's going to happen with our future? Like, do we have a band? Like, is everything we worked for done? Like, fuck, I got finger and neck tattoos. What kind of job am I going to get? I don't want another job. I don't want another band. Um, and it just put you right back into that dark place. So It was like, Nope shoot Matt a text, shoot my friends a text, hey, you guys want to play fucking Call of Duty? And it's like back to back to uh, minds off of, you know, all the pain and just going to go have, have some fun and remember that we're human and, and we're healing.
0: I remember my buddy JJ um, was telling me, hey, you got to jump on, I think it was World at War at the time, but like Modern Warfare 2 had just come out. And I was like, man, I haven't played games in a long time. He's like, just jump on, let's play. Like, you don't want to go out. You're, you're depressed, you're... Let's just play some video games and we won't, we'll kind of forget about it. Through that experience, I met some of the greatest people, some people that are lifelong friends now that I've met throughout the country just by going on tour. And they kind of come to the shows, people who have flown out to like final shows, like in Vegas. And there'll be like 30 of us that roll out that are all just, we all met from call of duty and call of duty gave me this, this safe place to go where I didn't have to talk about Jimmy. I didn't have to talk about the band. I didn't have to do anything except have the right loadout and go kill other people. We became these, we had these, cra- I mean, there's so many stories of things that happened and game battles nights this is where I met Dr. Disrespect, where we'd started playing, you know, game battles together and competing. And we went to Call of Duty, you know, the world championships and played in LA. And we did all these things. Like we were just dead serious about it, but it all stemmed from just jumping online and having a safe place to hang out.
4: And here is where this podcast starts to come into its own because you, the Avenged Sevenfold fan, get to hear some amazing stories that you might not have heard and you just heard Matt Shadows mention the words Call of Duty World Tournament in LA. So, as you well know... These things are serious, real serious. If you've ever got game rage, you know how seriously people take their game playing. Now imagine trading year round for a tournament. That is what we're going to talk about next. Avenged Sevenfold entering a world tournament for Call of Duty in Los Angeles, only they were about to meet some formidable mum shaped foes
0: we had this crew where we had like some players that were much better than others, and so we had the r a team and we had our b team and I was on the b team um we had we have some players that are just stone cold killers, right? They're just gamers they've been playing every first person shooter for for their whole lives, and we went there and they, they I think they got eighteenth place, which out of hundreds of teams, we got something like thirty third place. But it was really funny because we get in there and uh, our first match is against four moms, right? Like, but they've got like uniforms, like they're they're ready, right? And like, so we roll in there, we're like, oh, dude, if we lose to them, like, we are never going to hear the end of this. Like, and so we get in there and we lose our first match and it's, it's best out of three, right? And um, we end up winning our second match. And I think I came up really clutch in the third match in search and destroy. And we ended up beating them. And so we moved on to the next round and then we had this game called search or it was um, it was hard point where you have to take over a flag for a certain amount of time. And then the flag keeps moving around the map. And one of our best players at the time had a game winning, um a game winning missile that he was going to shoot from the sky. And we ended up killing everybody in the, area and the missile was already in the air and he ended up killing all of us. So they all respond right after us and then they fucking took over the map and they ended up beating us. Uh our friend's name was hailstorm because those are called hailstorms. And so he had to change his gamer tag to hailstorm for a while because he killed all of his buddies. He hailstormed us and uh ruined our chances at Call of Duty Glory.
4: I tell you man you get all the best stories on this show so make sure you subscribe and make sure you check out the older episodes because if you have been with us since the very beginning of this journey then you will know that we have discussed the members of aven sevenfold can sometimes be described as being um Let's call it competitive. Yeah, I think competitive is the right word. So the members of Avenged Sevenfold are so competitive, in fact, that that world tournament that I was just talking about there, um, they wouldn't even let Zaki Vengeance into the squad, despite being the guitar player in Avenged Sevenfold, because he wasn't good enough at Call of Duty. Here's the story.
1: I never got good enough. I mean, I spent hours and days playing because I enjoyed it. And it was so fun and so new to me because, you know, at that point, being able to play in real time against real people while talking to your friends is so cool. But I just, I suck so fucking bad. I'm the worst video game player in the world, maybe. I mean, if there was an award for being the worst Call of Duty player, I mean, I would go 0 for 100. I'd have the lowest kill counts. So nobody really wanted me to be on their team. When, once people started getting good, they always invited me. They always, you know, tried to make me feel a part of it. But I'd be like, hey, I think I'm going to go in another, uh, another lobby, you guys, because I know how bad I suck. There should be a gaming squad for people that are as bad as me. I should have a YouTube channel. I'd have 100 billion views of people just watching me get killed over and over again.
4: Can I say that this is a real window into how competitive a Venfold are that in your own squad the guitar player can't get in because he can't play the
1: game good enough. Oh yeah, I I bowed out. Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to be the the weak weak link ever.
4: Yeah, don't worry, Zachy, I am rubbish at video games as well. Me and you can be left out of the squad together. We can sit in the bleachers and I don't know, smoke behind the bike sheds or something. So I should mention, this is Not Ready to Die that we are about to start talking about. We've got music theory coming up with Sin and a couple of really amazing stories that didn't quite fit the narrative of the podcast, but we're going to get that in very shortly. But first, let's talk to Matt about how the band got involved with Call of Duty. And if you haven't checked it out already, last week we released a special interview with Matt Shadows and Mark Larmia, creator of Call of Duty, former head of Treyarch and and, um, yeah, all-round good egg. But go and check out that full hour-long interview. It's amazing. It's about creativity and how they're friends and about how Call of Duty and Avenge Sevenfold have crossed over in more ways than you think. Go and check out the entire interview. But here's Matt to tell us how the band got involved with Call of Duty in the first place.
0: We were just huge fans of uh, Modern Warfare 2. And we were just waiting for the next iteration, right? And I didn't know I didn't know anybody at the time Um but I was like becoming like a hardcore Call of Duty player. And I remember the night that we played Ireland, we played a show in Ireland and me and Dan Abel, who was our assistant and, you know, one of our security guards at the time, we ran to a local GameStop in Dublin after the show to wait for the 12 o'clock midnight release. So we waited in line. We got, Our video game in Dublin, and then we just started playing all night on tour. And of course, there's like all these little nuances of like sometimes European games don't work on American consoles. And so we had some sort of issues, but every day we started this is where we started like making sure that we had our own internet connection at the venue. People couldn't get on it. We would jump on every day. We're doing like the hey, will you guys wake up at like 10 in the morning and play with us because we're on this time schedule? And so Black Ops 1, we were huge fans of. And it was so much to the point that our AR and r guy, um, Craig Aronson, had um, known about my obsession. And he's like, hey, I know this guy, Mark Lamia, who created Call of Duty and created the, the franchise. And he's the president of Treyarch. Would you like to meet him? And I'm like, oh, I'd love to meet him. And so um, we ended up getting introduced through Craig Aronson. And um, it turns out that Mark is like a full-on rock guy, right? And like at the time, you know, they were doing stuff with Metallica or they're doing stuff with like Eminem and doing all these different things. But he really, he's a big time Rush fan, big time old school. Like I've been to Queensryche with him. I've been to the Scorpions with him. I've taken him to Kanye. Like we've just kind of done all these things together since then, but he's a rock guy, right? He knows every song from his era and he listens to the modern stuff and he does all these sorts of things. So we just hit it off.
4: That's how it came to be. And this is how you write a song for Call
0: of Duty. Call of Duty has three portions to the game. There's the multiplayer where you're playing against other people. There's a single player, which is the campaign. And then there's zombies, right? And so zombies is this sort of um, you're getting waves and waves and every wave gets harder and harder. And basically you go until you die. There's no winning this zombies mode. You might be 12 hours into this. And I'm not joking. We would spend hours of just like, we can't stop. We can't stop. And the game would turn off. But at the time, I remember it was this one of these things where, you know, they, they always had like a an Easter egg, like a secret song in there. Or they had, you know, um, some sort of like, thing on the wall where you were that pieced with this piece. And there's this narrative, this overwhelming narrative where almost they were taking cues from the community and the message board. So there was this kind of cool um, flow that went to zombies where um, they could kind of do anything they wanted at any time. And because it's an online game, they could update the game whenever they wanted. And I remember Mark came to us and said, Hey, how would you feel? And at the time we would never done anything like this. He said, how would you feel about doing a new track? To hide as an Easter egg in the zombies map. And at the time, we had never done anything like that. In fact, we always stayed away from it. We'd been asked a lot to do stuff, but we just never felt like it was something we wanted to put our brand with. And Call of Duty for me, I had to go to the guys and say, Guys, this is important to me. Like, I have a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in Call of Duty. All these people that you guys have met on the road, these are all important to me. Mark, you guys have all met Mark now. He's a great guy we should maybe think about doing something. And I think this was after the Nightmare Record was done. This was the first thing we were doing um, before Hail to the King. And so my idea with them was just like, let's write something that continually evolves. Because if you put a pop song in here, or you put some sort of typical structure, it's not going to be good for what, what you're doing, which is killing many zombies over and over and over and over and over. And you got to think this is an intense moment where you're, constantly you know shooting these waves of of zombies and so what would you want that to sound like well it's got to sound evil it's got to sound thrashy there's got to be a lot of like that like tremolo picking like all that sorts of stuff through it um it's got to drive it's got to evolve it's got to move you don't necessarily need a chorus per se you kind of just need to keep moving and so when we wrote it we just kind of wrote it as if we were watching a movie soundtrack and we were just moving through the, these pieces of music that were going to just feel great to killing things.
1: It really just channels that feeling of what it's like to be, you know, with your squad, with your friends, having fun, running around this dark world, you know, killing zombies and and. You know, it's kind of spooky, it's kind of fun, kind of, uh, I mean, it almost has elements where it could be like a Adam's Family or Munster's sort of soundtrack, you know, modernized with heavy metal. And it's really what happens when you you channel everything about the game that made it fun, everything about you as a person that enjoys playing this game, and then basically coming up with almost not even a, a song, more of like a soundtrack that you would want to hear in the game using the tools that you're able to to provide
4: we are going to talk a whole bunch more about not ready to die and how Evan Sevenfold wrote the song specifically for uh mashing the ever-loving shit out of zombies but first two things that I think are quite interesting but didn't quite fit the story of this particular podcast but um I think you will want to hear these stories because they are both about how events Unfold were offered other opportunities and they are both things that didn't go to plan. So first up, the band had been asked to provide a song for a Michael Bay-shaped movie. Here's Matt to tell you how that went down. Or didn't, as the case may be.
0: We definitely licensed some songs that already existed to EA for Madden and Need for Speed and things like that. There was a guy named Steve Schnur there that really helped our career um, by doing that. And he changed the landscape of putting rock music in video games, right? It didn't really exist before that. And we had licensed things to Guitar Hero and we had had some opportunities where like, I think, I think it's kind of funny, maybe for another time we'll talk about it, but I think Michael Bay was going to use Almost Easy and Transformers, and then they heard it, and then they didn't like it <laughs> or something like that. I don't know if they didn't like it or this didn't use it, right? They, But it was another thing where the record was, it was already done for one. That's why there's two mixes to Almost Easy. No one knows that. We'll talk about it later, but it's because we had to get it mixed before the album was mixed, and Transformers was going to use it. Didn't get used. But we had things like that. We had commercials or movies or video games that came to us and said, can you write an original for us? And we, we just always just weren't into that. We're just like, eh, use something we already have. Maybe we'll license it. If not, we don't want to spend our time doing one-offs for things. We want to work on our records. Call of Duty was the first time where we just said, this is important to us. This is important to culture and what's happening. And we wanted to be involved on any level we could. So this was the first time that we actually said yes.
4: I try not to talk too much shit, but I don't think it's the end of the world that the songs weren't used on those Transformer movies, given their quality. Anyway, here is the second of those two stories, which involves Sinister Gates getting the opportunity to work with the mighty Danny Elfman. If you don't know who Danny Elfman is, he's been Tim Burton's collaborator in that Danny Elfman makes all the music for Tim Burton movies. He did the theme music to The Simpsons. He did the theme music to Tales from the Crypt, Desperate Housewives and a million other things. He's a bit of a legend. And Sinister Gates was really impressed to be able to go and work with him. If only he'd have done his homework. See, it's coming up again. You can't even blame Halo this time.
2: Fortunately, I mean, I had a a small opportunity to work with Danny Elfman um, on the Wanted soundtrack uh, with Angelina Jolie and and the X-Men dude. And and it was a... It it wasn't my favorite experience, to be honest. Um, He wasn't there to begin with. Um, I was very underprepared. So I go in and it's supposed to be guitar textures and all these things. I thought it would be more musical. So I had this shitty amp that I'd never used before. It was just a rack-mountable thing because it was the only thing at that time. I mean, it was the late 2000s, I think. It was before Jimmy passed away. Anyway, and so I had a rack-mountable piece of gear that was probably the the only thing that kind of plugged in direct, so I didn't have to worry about mics or any of this shit. It had zero gain. It was like, it's it's a Mesa boogie. I got to be able to use this thing. I got this, and it's going to be great. At least have high gain. Fuck a good tone. And it had no gain, and I couldn't fucking play, and they wanted feedback on top of that. Pretty much just feedback. It was this fucking crazy climatic fight scene at the end, and I couldn't fucking do it. Um, so luckily I had my Sustaniac, and I won't bore you with the the nerd details on that, but you can kind of make some stuff. And then Danny comes in. He was hosting supposedly a, a water polo event at his house, which he's an avid water polo guy. If you see that guy with his shirt off, which he graced his audience, um, the last Coachella, you'll see that he's been playing water polo for quite some time, preserving the skin and the muscles and all. He's a, he's a fucking beast. Um, but he came in, and he just... Mr. Business, you know, just like, just sat there. The small crowd got silent and he listened. It's like, hmm, not quite there, huh? And I was like, no, it's not. We're having trouble getting some, it's just getting convoluted. He's like, what, what, what would you, what would you do? And I'm like, well, I'd probably, I mean, 101 is to strip back, right? Less is more. I was like, I I'd probably stripped. I think it's too convoluted. And I stopped myself like, well, damn, dude, what, I have to ask, what would you do? I'd love to know what you would do. And he's like, I'd, I'd add a few more things. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. And so we added a few more things and it turned out, I mean, it's just, it's, it's texture, it's noise, right? Um, but when you're in the middle of it, you're in it, you, you like that shit, you know, you, you like the sound, it's like crazy. And, you're, um, and And he was right and it fucking blew my mind. Um, and I never got a call back from Steve Bartek who arranges all of Danny's music or, or most of it basically his a right-hand guy guitar player for Oingo Boingo. Who's a good, good friend. He's the one that invited me to do recommended me and invited me to do the track, um, from stuff that he's worked on on our white album. So he's like, Oh, Brian could play, you know, it's, there's some textures on this one. It was a weird record. Got to be great. I show up ill prepared. I don't have the gear, got nothing. And yeah, never got a call back. I just, it's like, I, you know, I've had little moments like that where, you know, I got a, an amazing sample library and I wanted to get into TV stuff. It's so much work. It's like anything else. If you're going to do something right, it's got to be your main job. You know, I'm not going to phone anything in. If we take, if everybody's doing their own thing for two years, I might call Trent and be like, yo, dude, let's get into some fucking action together or do something like that. But it would be a main thing. I, I couldn't ever half-ass. Any, any, anything like that and, and it, doing soundtracks and, and composing classical music that's just it's a monumental fucking task at the least
4: hey it's elfman's loss am i right sin's gonna be back very soon to talk music theory about not ready to die but um i think it's worth exploring just before we go in depth on that and start to get into the song i think it's worth exploring the fact that this is a real anomaly. Avenge Sevenfold usually write for albums. Songs are part of a broader canvas. They are part of a larger body of work. They are all pieces to a larger puzzle, usually. But this is the first time and one of the very, very few times that Avenged Sevenfold have written a song and it is not part of a broader album piece, and this is the first time that they'd ever written a specific song. You've heard why, because it meant something to Matt. But here, I think Johnny does a really brilliant job about talking about... It's easy to imagine that a new song is going to point at a direction that the band are going to be going into. And with this song coming after the Nightmare album, it was really interesting to think, hey, they've recruited a drummer here. This might be a look at the direction that the band go in. Not always the case. Definitely not the case. We've not ready to die, and the next album being "Hail to the King." But um, here's Johnny to just discuss that as a concept and um, how writing for a one-off in this particular time period came to pass.
3: It stands alone, and it stands up to it as well. I mean, I think it's a it's an awesome song. It has those. It has all the heavy parts, has all the heavy breakdowns and stuff, which I love. I think that it was some of the stuff that uh, didn't didn't end up being on nightmare for that reason it just didn't fit it wasn't that it was necessarily a scrap or anything like that those riffs it was just something that the rest of the album had a certain vibe and that ends up being true in this band each album there's a shit ton of stuff that gets scrapped and it's not because it's not good or anything like that it's literally because it just doesn't fucking fit the vibe of the of the record so you know in that sense it's it, it it can stand alone it's a great song a song that fans kinda gravitate towards is like, Yeah, what's, what are some of those songs when I was growing up that I liked? And the one that stuck out was on the last action hero soundtrack, Megadeth's Angry Again. And I remember loving that fucking song, going like, Why isn't that on the album, man? The song's so fucking good. And I think that I think that yeah, that could kind of be our not ready to die is is, is Angry Again. Oh God. I don't know what people are thinking when we release these one-offs or, or do something like that, that, that they think it's going to be a precursor or something like that. It's like, more often than not, it's, no, we put together something because we wanted to do it. We probably used a few parts from here, a few parts from there, put it all together, made some new parts, uh, reworked some stuff. It was a moment when it was... it the. The opportunity was brought to us. It was going to be this cool thing. We had been in video games before with uh, Chapter 4 being on the Madden soundtrack, and it did really well for us. I mean, I remember being in clubs, and people would come up to the meet and greets or in between sets, you know, when we were opening up for other bands. be like, dude, I heard you on uh, on Madden. That's where I've, I found you guys, and I, I just came to the show for that. Now I just picked up the record. And I'm like, you came for one fucking song you heard on Madden? Awesome. Um, so, you know, it was like another opportunity um in a, in a lot of respects for that again matt had befriended some guys over at activision that made it easy for us and was uh, and it was on brand with our interests so it was you know a lot of things right time right right opportunities uh right place um so it i don't think it was it wasn't a fall off from nightmare it wasn't a precursor to hail it was just this is a this is a cool opportunity a fun thing that we can do it'll you know It'll be something that the fans can enjoy, uh, especially you know as we know the hardcores. You know, like we weren't expect, you know, we we don't expect most of uh, most of these one-offs to go off and, and do some chart-topping things on the radio. Although I think this one did alright, um, but that's never the intention when we do these one-off things. It's it's more about shared interest, right place, right time. We had the moment to do it. We had some stuff we could work with. Let's get back in the studio for a couple of weeks, knock out this song and then get back out on the road.
4: Now it's time for one of my favorite parts of any episode of Tracks. It's when we talk music theory with Sin. Please do go and check out the other episodes on Welcome to the Family and Trashed and Scattered. We go in-depth with Sin inside the songwriting of each of the songs. It's just in conversation. It's always a good time. And so without further waffle from me, this is Not Ready to Die music theory with Mr, Master, Emperor, Sinister Gates. (laughs) So, Sinister Gates, we are talking Not Ready to Die and this is an anomaly on a whole bunch of levels. So firstly, this is the first song that is not written as part of a greater whole that Avenged Sevenfold have ever done. What was the challenges in that? Because you're usually painting a piece of a broader canvas with a song when you're writing for a record. This just being its own island. What were the challenges in that, and does that alter anything at all?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So when we write a record, it's kind of like a season of sports. You know, you can't go into the studio and write like four or five songs, or even write. 10, you know, you, you get into a groove, you have all these pieces. And when you're more of a prog band, like, like we tend to be, sometimes it doesn't feel prog-ish, feels like rock and roll, but it's, it's heavier than rock and roll. It's progier than rock and roll. I get it. Um, You get into a groove. And so you, you have parts that might not be great. um, But you have a long time when you're a band like us. I mean, we've been writing a record for four years. Um, You can really polish things up when you have a lot of time, when you're just going in there to do a track on a deadline for something like this. It's totally different. Then um, the parts that you come up with have to be good. You have to love them, which is a challenge in and of itself. And uh, yeah, it's just a little different for for a band like us. You know, it presents a whole host of challenges. And that's why it's not one of our greatest songs ever written.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I swear, you By say this. You say this every month, my friend. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I promise I'm a fan of the, I'm a fan of my own band. I, I assure you that, but I'm very very picky.
4: How much do you consider the game and the game's environment and the fact that this is targeted for something? Because I've never had the opportunity to actually ask someone this directly, like, about a movie soundtrack, for example, something that's written specifically for a movie rather than just included. What, like, how much percentage of it is about the game and the game's environment and writing a song to fit that?
2: Uh, I can't speak for our lyricist, um, the great M Shadows, but for for the band, it was 100% um, inspired by by the game and by pieces of content that they sent us, which is great. It just really helps to put yourself in that environment right away. You start hearing things. When I see a movie, see different pieces of content, visuals automatically, you know, engender music. In, in in our minds, you know, as musicians. And so it really helped. Um, and then I think we came up with the lyric pretty, not ready to die, pretty quickly. And that just, when you have a good lyric, that'll catapult a song, which we, we rarely do. We usually do lyrics at the end. You know, maybe there's a scratch lyric while we're writing melodies or something that'll stick. But usually we come, we don't come in with an exception like to hail to the king which Matt had and we wrote a song based on that. It was just Hail to the King. That's great. That's old school. Let's take a great thing like that and and use it over and over and over, which is not within our DNA. We like to fucking put a fucking cryptic chapter in our <laughs> in as our chorus, you know? It's just it's it's long, no abbreviation whatsoever. So Not Ready to Die was kind of a a precursor to maybe like a Hail to the King sort of vibe. But yeah, that lyric the content that they sent us, all the, you know, just being attacked by zombies, it's just not, fucking not ready to die yet, you know? And <laughs> uh, you, can, you can feel it. And so it was pretty, pretty easy to paint, you know, that imagery with, you know, some pretty solid imagery to go off of. I'm not ready to die. We were basically taking this opportunity To write something that wasn't us at the moment, but to do a soundtrack maybe as a different band. And the band we chose to do it as was a former version of ourselves. Let's not be afraid to do the guitar duels. Let's not be afraid to make it proggy. Let's not be afraid to throw in the random parts. Because for a big stretch there, we were trying to consolidate vibes, you know, because we never felt that great at it. Listening back, I do see how Strength of the World has a vibe within however fucking many uh, minutes uh, that song comprises. Um, So I I don't think that we were completely accurate, but at our assessment at that time, rather than throwing a bunch of different parts in music, we wanted to consolidate and kind of explore a a more mature, better songwriting um, technique. And this was our opportunity to say, "Fuck it! What are what are we great at?" And it's something that we're starting to do now. Um, what we what we use we use you know kind of a fresh adage uh, to apply to this, and it's to lean in to what you're good at. Don't try to be a billion different things for a billion different people. Lean into what you're good at. And so we chose our band to kind of jump into that skin, lean into the guitar duels that could. We could, we could come up with guitar duels. I'm not saying they're good guitar duels, but we could come up with guitar duels that the band loved at any time, anywhere. To write a melody on guitar and to harmonize it and like it and love that sound, Boston Queen or, or Iron Maiden-ish sort of thing, that's as natural for us as walking. And that's why we <laughs> kind of don't do much of it anymore because it's, to us, kind of played out. But that was our opportunity. Long story long, um, to get back to that and crank something out that we knew would be quality, that we could have fun with and not, so, and not be so pretentious about where we were at ideologically at that moment.
4: Johnny was talking about the Megadeth song that's on Last Action Hero when we spoke, that there'll be songs by band. The one that always comes to mind for me is the badge from Pantera from the Crow soundtrack is an absolute rager. Like, But people might have that song and it feels like a lot of Avenged fans feel that way about Not Ready To Die. Your face yeah. suggests that you don't <laughs> share this view. Uh, what is your view of Not Ready To Die? Because this is, you know, there's going to be pins put in a board for all of the songs we are on the third pin that we are putting in not ready to die how do you feel about it
2: i, I give it a c plus c no probably a c minus maybe maybe a c let's let's stick with a c um it doesn't make me cringe you no, know
4: God, no. Um, no, no no it's a real achievement within a game like call of duty as well and like bringing more people to the fold to understand what you do via what they do
2: right i, I mean 100 and i there's moments that I'm super proud of. I'm proud of the chorus. I don't think it's one of our best choruses ever, but I love a... how
0: <laughs>
2: It goes from a major to kind of a minor. Modulation there to the and then into this like little Patton-y sort of thing. And we were getting kind of cute with it, and kind of creating our own weather over these chords, making it major, then making it minor, and then throwing um, some flair at it. You know, some patent esque flair, some Stevie Wonder-esque flair to it, and um, and that was us like beginning to experiment with R&B type of stuff, you know, and, and getting out of you know, a very square-sounding execution. You know, from guitar to vocals to to everything. It was just like, can can we be a little less white <laughs> <laughs> on, on on this track? You know, I don't know if you can say that these days, but the um, I, I, yeah. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try. It. We're gonna we're gonna let it fly there. But yeah, just uh, we wanted to invoke some soul there, and doing kind of. You know, kind of, it was natural. We weren't really exploring crazy Beatles harmony and stuff at that point yet. Uh, maybe a little bit of classical, but um, is kind of something what we heard. We added some some soul to it, some life to it, and, and so it's a. It reminds me of the beginning of our journey to to a better place.
4: I love him, man. (laughs) Make sure you're subscribed. Every single episode, we do that music theory with Sin. So let's get on to talking all things Not Ready to Die, the first song to ever be recorded, not part of a larger canvas, not part of an album as a standalone track. And what is particularly interesting, if you've been following our episodes so far on tracks... um, Avenged Sevenfold are always looking to progress. It's no secret that the lads are working on a new record at the moment. And I think as Avenged Sevenfold fans, we all in unison only know to expect the unexpected. And so what makes Not Ready to Die such an interesting piece is that I think this is one of the main songs that has Avenged Sevenfold themselves as the main influence and a particular record. Now... Call me crazy, but I think Not Ready to Die has a whole lot of Waking the Fallen influence. What do you think out there? What do you think, members of Avenged Sevenfold?
0: It's got a little bit of like the scream to the clean stuff. Um, there's some thrashier, what, you know, which I'll use a lot the term dumb, dumb riffs, you know, like things that you just go, okay, is this technically brilliant? No. Is this anything other than like bang my head, make me feel good? No, that's what it is. And that's, you know, it's like very like Pantera, you know, it's like, it's very like, it's dime, you know, and and it's like adding those parts are fun as long as they're nailed, right? If they're not nailed, they're extremely cheesy. <laughs> and that's why Pantera is brilliant because there was never a moment where it felt cheesy. It was just, but if you actually break it down, it's like, wow, only they could pull that off. Mm-hmm. And so, Taking those moments, I think we have one in like critical acclaim, even the Beast and the Harlot riffs a little bit like that, but you know, it's just all it is, but you gotta, you gotta do it properly. And I think uh, Not Ready to Die does that.
1: Die. It has a uh, real wake in the fallen feel with the double bass, with the, outro the screams it gets very cinematic with elements from the zombies soundtrack in the middle which is something we totally would have done in the wake in the fallen era kind of you know tim burton esque, scary haunting uh melodies the songs you know on the longer side six plus minutes we definitely channeled our inner video game playing youthful selves to write that song um, completely unapologetically and and just had fun with it. We're just channeling something that was so you know over the top, so ridiculous, so so much fun. You know, there we didn't have a whole lot of pressure placed on us, which is exactly when we were doing Waking the Fallen, we had nothing to lose. And I mean, we're, you know, 21 years old, 20 years old, I was at the time. And we're just having so much fun, talking shit, playing video games, recording guitars. And, you know, 10 years later, we had to channel that youth. You know, we're going through serious hard times, but the game was fun. It was fun to go and play against each other, talk shit to each other. And you hear it in our music. It's almost like it took us back 10 years to a place when we weren't dealing with, you know, uh, losing a band member. We weren't dealing with all the problems that we knew were light ahead of us. We just kind of like removed ourselves, went back to the past and, and just had so much fun.
3: It has that rhythmic heaviness that waking the fallen had not just, I mean, a lot of people just go, Oh, you're saying that cause it goes to the screams and stuff. Uh, no, like it's, it's deeper than that. Obviously like the, just the music, um, Everything about the the rhythmic standings of it is kind of a throwback to some of the stuff we did on *Waking the Fallen* in, in a lot of respects. Um, a little bit more sophisticated. We're a few years older at that point, but again, we've said it a million times about our writing. When people are like, "Why'd you do this? Why'd you do this?" What? Because that's what we were feeling at the time, man. There's not like we sat out there and we're like, we're going to do it like this because that's the way we did it then and now we should do it this way, so bring it back. And So no, man, it's just, we're all human beings and this is what was inspiring us. We wrote these songs. We wrote them at the period that they are. Yes, Not Ready to Die wasn't written at the same time we wrote anything for Waking the Fallen or any other record for that matter. However, we are still the same human beings. So some of those, I mean, naturally some of those, uh, muses are still going to be there you know so obviously we're still fans of that style of music we're still going to write certain things that come out that way because it's still us writing it right so um so yeah of course it's going to you're going to be able to as a fan listen to it and say oh it sounds like you know what they did on this, on so and so as a track and that and I, and I get it cuz I do the same thing on Metallica. Metallica comes out with a new song, I'm like, "Oh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Master of Puppets or something like that." Or, "Oh, that production really is, sounds like they're starting to go back to the black album." Everybody does it. It's just and I don't think anyone usually, I can't speak for every artist, but I don't think most artists are sitting there going like, "Oh, we need to go back to that." It's just they're still the same person with the same influences and the same makeup writing music and sometimes it's going to sound a certain way
4: it's roman sky from the stage on the next episode but it's not escaped my attention that we haven't done a song from waking the fallen yet but uh hold that thought it's going to be coming up in the next couple of months so make sure you are subscribed so um confession time so i wrote the feature, the first ever feature about Avenge Sevenfold in the UK ahead of Waking the Fallen's release. And there was a particular band that really stood out uh, when listening to Waking the Fallen. I love the record because I could hear so many of my favourite bands and their influences all over the record. Be that the skate punk likes of No Effects, the riffage of Metallica, you know, I've always found that there's, um, there's a whole bunch of personality that goes into Matt Shadows' voice. But one of the main influences for both the band and Mr Shadows is Pantera. So I put it to Matt that I think not ready to die has an awful lot of Phil Anselmo's influence. And here's what he had to say about that.
0: There's nobody in the metal spectrum that's influenced me more than Phil. There's no one I'd rather listen to than Phil. I think his um his cleans are manly, but they're emotional. Especially like there's a little bit of that twang and like 80s left on Cowboys, but as you move on it's very serious and he's using that baritone range. He can sing anything he wants with that crazy vocal fry, crazy distortion. Um, now he's incredible. And so anytime you can add something, I think we do it in like, God hates us. We do it in like eternal rest. We do it in um, these songs where we're really trying to have that like the full weight of the chest voice, in, but hitting notes and it's still, you know, distorted. And that fills a huge influence, yeah.
4: I can't believe I said confession time and then didn't follow it up with unholy confession time. The dad joke was staring me straight in the face. Oh, that's why they don't pay me the big bucks. So, um, let's get back to all things Call of Duty and Avenged Sevenfold. And this is where Avenged really come into their own and it really stands out that it couldn't just be any band to provide music for Call of Duty, it had to be people that understood the inner workings of the game, understood the personality of the game and particularly understood the players out there that are going to be hearing this song, because let's not forget, this isn't just a song for Avenged Sevenfold fans, this is a song for people that have no idea that Avenged Sevenfold even exists they just like running around and shooting zombies in uh, military uniforms, but this is where it all comes full circle. Call of Duty Black Ops has this really cool 80s kind of John Carpenter creepy piano bit of music called Damned and Avenged Sevenfold weren't content to just write a song inspired by Call of Duty they wanted to actually take that piano part and incorporate it into the song see they just do things a little bit different when it comes to all things Avenged Sevenfold better that's not for me to say but yeah it's better isn't it so here's Avenged Sevenfold talking about incorporating Damned into Not Ready to Die.
0: We took one of their main theme, which is a, a piano theme that we put in the middle of the song because we wanted to really tie in the lore. We didn't want people to think like what band's going to do that because we wanted the song to be for those fans. Like this is like a Call of Duty song. Has We're not trying to put it on an album. We're not trying to do anything with it other than create a very cool, almost soundscape experience. You feel clever when you're doing that.
2: It's kind of a, an obvious thing now, but the greats do it well. Jimmy, the Rev was amazing at doing that thing he always wanted to add little pieces of that he did in a little piece of heaven and and those are like techniques that you that you use because I, I don't naturally think of those kind of things you know I'm in my head like best notes best notes create the best notes create the best notes rhythms have to work ryth- you know, kind of when you can sit back and and be a little bit more quirky
0: and tongue in cheek with it. We just had to do some things with like publishing where it's like, hey, can we borrow this spot? You know, we're, we didn't write that little portion, but really it's kind of just a throwback. And they were super cool. Like, no, this throws it all together. This is going to make sense to the fans. Um, so that you know, that's like the theme that you're playing when you first switch over to zombie mode, and and so it's very familiar to the zombie players. And then we we took it to the next level we put our foot to the pedal we had brian turn it into a guitar solo where he's playing the same theme it was all you know just one of those things where if it feels good leave it if we can tie it all together let's do that and it just seemed to work out it's one of those things where You know, I I think we had moved on from that sound, but it was fun to throw it back and do it for a reason.
4: Yeah, confession time. Unholy confession time. Oh, kill me. Listen, confession time. I don't actually play much Call of Duty. So the next bit, I am actually just completely reading off of a Wikipedia page. I wouldn't want to lie to you, everybody. But lyrical content, um, with the exception of a song like M.I.A., where Matt kind of takes the position of a soldier a lot of avenged Sevenfold's lyrics um don't come from the point of view of somebody else but the um the fictional characters that i'm definitely not reading off of a screen right now edward richtofen tank dempsey nikolai Belinsky, and takeo masaki uh, are apparently the characters involved in call of duty and matt was incorporating their viewpoint into his lyrics i don't know i put the question to him here's his answer about the lyrics through the eyes of the characters of call of duty take it away matt
0: when i decided that i was going to write it through the eyes of characters you're playing right um the time it's not out right the story hadn't been written and they had storyboards and tons of like google spreadsheets and ideas and and this is what's happening and this is the story we're trying to kind of portray and this is where it's going next so it was really just kind of like piecing all those things together it was kind of cool because i got to see stuff before it was going to be out which was rad and then you know trying to not only put myself in their perspective but i in in their in like what they were seeing but also not trying to go outside the bounds of like when you're speaking from somebody else's perspective but it's someone else's character that they're going to have to continue to write on later, you don't want it to become outdated quickly by adding too much of your own opinion or, you know, um, forward thinking, where is this story going to go? Like, what's this guy, What what's this guy's personality? It's not my job to write his personality because I don't know where they're going to take it. So I have to kind of live within the walls of like what I'm given and then create something that's very cool, but also not too extravagant, if that makes any sense, right? You don't want it to be Where they're like, oh God, this character's gonna do this, but Matt wrote this. Like, why is the character saying that? You know, like, so it was one of those things where it's a little bit of a balancing act, but, but super cool to kind of reinforce this is a Call of Duty song. This is for the Call of Duty player, nothing else.
4: Yeah, sorry if I came across like the world's most uncool person in that last link. But, you know, um, if the shoe fits, wear it, I guess. Uh, I didn't want this to be too much of an elephant in the room, but um, this was the first song also that drummer Aaron Ilay played drums on with the band in terms of original material because, of course, he was brought in during the Nightmare tour. But this was the first time in the studio. So um, here is Sin and Matt talking about Aaron trying to find the feel of the song. And uh, I do hope, if there's any kind of clickbait people out there, please don't take this out of context, because I think that the band are incredibly respectful of aaron's ability and what he did in Avenged sevenfold but um you know how clickbait gonna clickbait so please don't do that everybody out there here is talking about aaron's first experience recording drums for avenge sevenfold
2: aaron Ilahi was capable of of genius moments you know and you know not to go off on on too much of that because i have a lot of respect for the kid and he's just super, he was super young at the time. Um, great, great, great kid. But I mean, we were, we had to, we had to ride that kid pretty hard at times, you know, and he always got it. He always came to the right place. And, and when he did, it would just like be an aha moment. And he just do it. It's like, well, where the fuck was that the whole time? Well, I didn't really listen to you know the the maiden part you sent me the Metallica parts you know I'm just trying to you know do this or whatever I, I I've heard it before, and and I get that I do that you know that's kind of the band the band has it's it, it is kind of a do what I say uh, not not as I do type type of thing it's like do a shit ton of homework well it's not like you guys are doing all your fucking homework you guys are just sitting there and there's a culture and. Everybody's drinking and going fucking crazy back then and and so when you get into the studio it's we do take things very very seriously shock to the system for Aaron but he fucking got there he absolutely got there he got the vibe and uh, and that's pretty much what I remember about it it's just a, a lot of work
0: but he's so talented you know we are really trying to give an up-and-coming drummer or someone new to the scene a chance on this you know we got a lot of calls from people that I'd rather not name but the biggest drummers in, in metal, right. That wanted to drum. And we just felt this was our ship. We wanted to steer. We don't need another ego and another, this is what it should be. So we're trying to bring up somebody and not that we would control them, but just that we could collaborate in a, in a way that um, I think was going to benefit us. Not, not the other way around where it was going to be like always this constant, like what had they done before? What have we done before? How do we meet in the middle? Like it just seemed very convoluted. So Aaron was, he came in and killed a, um, you know, uh, a, an audition came very highly recommended. He's a very nice kid. Um, very nice man, you know, he's, a he's older now, but, um, you know, going in the studio the first time with him, it was just such a, a shift from going from Jimmy, which he, we could finish each other's sentences to Mike, which is technically a brilliant player and, but he's a different player and that was hard for us right because jimmy had laid down all these demos mike was retracing those demos and then where where there was holes he would fill them in and then now we were creatively trying to see where aaron fit in and it was tough because it was the first time that we kind of realized we weren't all on the same page right it wasn't um it wasn't like we could finish each other's sentences we we had to write out What the sentence was going to be. And like, you need to learn this because what he grew up listening to and what we, our vision was, did not align. Right. And so I think the drumming on Not Ready to Die gets the job done. But when I listen to it, I know how painstaking it was to get it to something that we felt was acceptable for what the vision was that we were trying to get across. And I don't, this will come off as a slight, I guess, but I don't think it's a slight. We just simply have different. Musical um, ways we would go about things, and we just simply have different influences and in certain um, different ways that we would speak about music, and so it's just a hard it's it's a hard communication when you don't speak the same language.
4: So let's look at the legacy of Not Ready To Die. On tracks, we're going to be making our way through the entire N7 Fold Black catalogue. So how does Not Ready To Die measure up? Well, seven minutes and five seconds. I'll talk about the song a little bit in a moment. So... The song itself been played live eight times. It did have a short run in the set list in 2011 from August to October was last played in Greenwood Village, Colorado. But yeah I think Not Ready to Die is a really special moment. I love when there are songs by a band that are just like this one-off moment. We spoke about Pantera earlier. I love the badge from the Crow soundtrack. It's absolutely unbelievable. But it's this one snapshot song. And Not Ready to die is that song for so many of you out there i know there's a real cult following for this song and i think particularly when it was released at the time in 2011 Being between Nightmare and Hail to the King and being far enough away from the early days of Avenged Sevenfold, the sound in the seventh trumpet and Waking the Fallen in particular. I think if you were a fan during that period, it really made you feel warm inside as far as um, hearing them return to those sounds. And if you are just listening to it isolated, it's just a rager in its own right, isn't it? Putting it out, we got
1: a really, really great reaction. And I didn't know what to expect because we had never written a song uniquely for any entity, you know, especially a video game or movie. Our songs have been used in those things before, but we didn't want it to... I I mean, I guess me personally, I was a little bit concerned, even though I really didn't care because I was having so much fun with it, I was a little concerned that our overall fan base might think it was a little bit gimmicky or hokey had they not any interest in video games and I was like I I like the song I think it's really good it's very fun we're definitely channeling our inner youth and just having so much fun with it and it gets a little spooky so it's a little over the top and we're at a point in our career where Nightmare is very serious just dead fucking serious and you know Hail to the Kings way way more serious and then we released it and The reaction was great. People loved the song. People were really, really pumped on the song. And I learned at that point how massive video gaming was to our fan base. There are so many fans playing these games, and and I was like, okay, this is awesome. So we started playing the song live. You know, at a handful of concerts. um, You know, incorporating it into our set, and people were having a blast. They were treating it like it was any other Avenged Sevenfold song, they knew the lyrics, they were singing along, they were headbanging, so I was like, this is great, like, we can get away with having tons of fun um, with a song that we had written for a specific, you know, video game, it wasn't like a song that we had written that was sitting on the sidelines in its entirety, it was like, we wrote the song for the video game, we channeled our, you know, inner gamers running around this game, you know, what it would be like if we we're out there shooting zombies and having a great time doing it. And our fans reciprocated it. They totally got it. Uh, And I didn't know that that would be the case, but, you know, it worked out really well and it let us, you know, it kind of paved the way for us to do more things with Call of Duty in the future.
3: For me, uh, we're not ready to die lives in the Avengers Unfold category. To me, will always be something that's, Really cool because it's the first time we weren't just on a soundtrack for a game. We were really featured. Like they came to us, wanted us to create something specifically for this. They weren't just going, hey, we like uh, Nightmare. We want to put it on, uh, on, the, on the game or something like that or a song that was performing well. They wanted us to create something new and specifically for it and in turn we got these really cool posters that i'll never forget that's hanging out hanging in my studio right now um it was one of the first posters that i got that had uh, danny trio there's a bunch of people on there a bunch of like actors that were also part of that call of the dead and called call of duty stuff that we did and that, that was really cool for me even not being the huge gamer that matt is um uh, i still appreciate video games i still play them and uh, it was just really cool to have something like that that would have its own artwork its own separate thing and honestly kind of start the process for us as a band to realize not only is it okay it's fun sometimes to write in between records for one-offs for things like this like if it makes sense if it if we have mutual interest in it if it's You know, uh, something that we that we use, something that we are inspired by, whatever the case may be, or you know, just hey, I don't feel like I got it all out on that last record. Um, There's some there's some cool shit. Let's see if we can create something new in between. And I think that was kind of the first first time, the first iterations, where we started realizing like, okay, we don't have to like just finish the record. We can also put out these side things that uh, don't necessarily reflect the record before or after that would come. That can just be their own thing. And uh, with the right uh, opportunity and the right collaborations, we could do something cool like this and, and have something in a video game. I mean, we'd go on to do two more of these things with uh, Activision and the Call of Duty people, which is awesome. Um, and then it kind of from there, we started doing, on the last record on the stage, we, started, we went back in the studio and did some covers and stuff. And the, To be honest, probably even three years before we did that, I would have told you this band would never have done that. But uh, having, having the experience that we had with the Call of Duty people, the Activision people that have been awesome to us, it kind of opened our eyes a little bit to, uh, you know, giving a little bit of extra, not, not worrying about it fitting on a record or something like that
4: which brings me to the final thing to talk to the band about and i kind of mentioned it earlier but this song is almost bigger than us as a fan base because think about how many people out there play call of duty and how many of those people won't have like any idea at all about rock music It wouldn't surprise me at all if Avenged Sevenfold were exposed to more people through Not Ready to Die than some of the biggest songs in their back catalogue. Let that sink in. And what is so cool about this song is that the reaction from the Call of Duty community, again, these are people that don't need to be nice in any kind of way or consider the band's past or whatever. If this was not it, they would let you know. And the gaming community, if you're a gamer out there, you'd Seen the way that people talk to each other, right? Well, you know they would definitely let you know if they thought it was bad, and they didn't. They loved it with good reasons. So that the song is such a popular hit with Call of Duty fans as well as Avenged Sevenfold fans, I think is a nice way of bringing this home.
0: Yeah, I think whenever an artist goes outside of their the comfort zone of their audience, right, then you get like the real opinions, and they're very flippant opinions. It could be this is trash, this is garbage, this is this, any sort of insult you're going to get usually is outside of that. I guess it's like a, a lake of friendly faces, you know, but, um, and so when something like this gets thrown into the game and you start seeing um, many, many people funnel into the Avenged Sevenfold ecosystem and people are downloading the song and they're playing it and it's in the message boards, people are pumped and they, and they, what's the name of that band? And what is this? And they're all trying to figure it out. It feels really good. You know, it's um, one of those things where, you know, you did something to further enhance what was already a beautiful game. Um, You just made it a little bit better. And that's a really cool feeling, um, knowing that you didn't fuck it up.
1: It was truly amazing that it served such a higher purpose where our fans enjoyed the song. They're excited to have some something fun, something new. I think that they I think that they really can appreciate the fact that we're, you know, we're guys that love to write music, but we can still have fun as well. I think they enjoyed that. And all of a sudden, you're exposed to an entire new group of people that may have never heard of Avenged Sevenfold. And because of the way that the song was put into the game, you know, when you're running around playing zombies, there's certain tasks that would unlock a certain song. And these guys are trying to, you know, play the game to unlock these perks. And all of a sudden, our song starts playing and I know for a fact, a lot of people have, have literally said to me at meet and greets and stuff, like I had never heard of you until call of duty and not ready to die. And I thought it thought was the coolest fucking thing. And now I went back and listened to everything you do. And I absolutely love you. And this isn't a, a rare occurrence. This happens quite a bit because that gaming world is so big and people can relate to each other and they have fun and they love music like ours. And to be in the game, was you know it's such a big deal and such a big look for a band like us or for for any band really so we we shared that bond like hey we like playing the games you know you might even find me on there and you might be able to shoot me at some point (laughs) maybe not matt matt will probably get you but you know you can run around chase Zachy v and uh you know probably kick my ass
4: a brilliant way to wrap up this episode of Tracks and the story of Not Ready to Die. Don't forget, if this is your first time with us, go back and check out the other episodes. We've also done Trashed and Scattered and Welcome to the Family. Last week there was part one of this Not Ready to Die special which was a special hour-long chat between Matt Shadows, Mark Lamia, creator of Call of Duty and myself. I can't recommend it enough and we will be back next time doing the story of Roman Sky from the stage. I've been bees and we will see you next time on tracks the official avenge sevenfold podcast see you later